Uh, God's not complicated. I mean, you know, the plan of salvation is not complicated. Jesus said, unless you come like a little child, you can't even be saved. You, you come educated and you think you know everything, but I want to tell you, unless you forget of all that and, uh, uh, and just, you know, I, I think it was C.T. Studd, one of the theologians that said, you know, some people uh, just praise in the Lord and thank you, God, for saving them. And oh, that's wonderful. But he said, I sat down by the side of the river just thinking, oh my, why would Jesus save me? And I, I'm telling you that. So the Colossians, beginning in these first four, four verses of chapter 4, gives us just some really simple instructions. Uh, but it's not simple times. These are not simple times we're living in now. These are difficult times. And they're complicated times. And I want to tell you, when you find people that's always got an answer for what you need to do, uh, and it doesn't correlate with the Word of God, you need to run a red flag up and leave that bunch and, and, and get out of the way. Now, beginning in verse 1, he said, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. <laughs> that's good. I'm telling you, that's good. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I might make it manifest as I ought to speak. Uh, the story, you know, we talk about things that common sense, we say, doesn't exist anymore. And I heard that story. I know you've heard about that lumberjack that brought a bought a brand new chainsaw and they told him you buy this chainsaw here son and you can cut down a hundred trees a day and so he bought that chainsaw shelled out the money for it first day he managed to cut down 25 trees and the next day he didn't have any breaks he cut down 33 trees and the next day he skipped lunch and everything else worked as hard as he could cut down 45 trees he took that thing back and he said listen I'm not, I'm not, I can't even get halfway there. I, there's no way in the world. He's well, the guy at the store said, well, let me see what he's doing. And he yanked that chain, whom, whom, and the guy said, what is that? And when you try to cut down trees and you hadn't cranked the saw, you know, hello. You know, we're talking about somebody that maybe one French fry short of a Happy Meal here. Uh, that, uh, and, but, but, but we see that all the time there. Uh, I heard about those two boys that, uh, uh, in a long dry season, wasn't enough hay to keep the cows fed. So they decided they'd buy a truck and get a load of hay and sell hay. So they went over to the next state and uh, went going into the merchandising business. They got a truck, drove over there, bought hay for $3 a bale, came back and sold it for two fifty a bale. And after a few weeks, uh, the friend said, you know, there's something wrong. We just ain't making no money. He said, I think what we need is a bigger truck. Now, you know, that, that's some common sense there, too. One more, and I'll let you go. <laughs> I, I read about the, the three contestants in a TV quiz show. They were down to the last question. You know how that jeopardy goes, down to the last question. And the MC said, come up with a missing word at the end of the phrase, spell it correctly, and you win the grand prize trip to Europe with all the cards and benefits and everything. 
He said, are you ready? Old MacDonald had a, and he said, now remember, you got to spell the missing word. The first contestant said, old MacDonald had a house, H-O-U-S-E. And everybody just kind of groaned. The second contestant said, old MacDonald had a ranch, R-A-N-C-H. Everybody said, oh. And the third contestant said, old MacDonald had a farm. And the applause was just, I mean, you couldn't hear nothing, but people just shouting and, and all that. And when it calmed down, the MCA says, all right now, what you got to do is spell that magic word. He said, that's easy, E-I-E-I-O. <laughs> now, that's, that's just some common sense there, all right? Uh, I, you know, common sense doesn't make any sense to people who have no sense. And that's kind of where we are uh, today. We live in difficult days, and I want to tell you what we need. We don't need any difficult instructions. We need simple instructions. And he gives it to us here in in this scripture here. Uh, In verse 4 as we begin, the first thing is we see practical message for our public life. He said, I want to tell you, if verse 1 would ever find its way into the labor unions and the boardrooms and the work environments and all, everything in this country would change. This deals with a master's treatment of his slaves or his servants. Now, we know that slavery uh, is, is uh, abolished in our day, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, though, gives a practical message to those. He says uh, there, he, Paul speaks of the, <clears throat> of the slaves, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to learn to turn my page and everything with just one hand. I'm going to have rotator cuff surgery at the end of December, and I'm not going to be able to use my right hand. I don't know what I'm going to do, uh, but it's going to be bad. Uh, I've got to learn to eat all over again and, and try to preach. And, and Kay said today, how are you going to preach without raising your hand? I don't know. They're going to have to tie it down is what they're going to have to do. But anyway, he says that the requirement demands fairness. Now, who who wouldn't want to just demand fairness? And yet today we see over and over that things are being done in our country. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair in our country that a man would be condemned and, and already judged and yet never even have a trial. It used to be here in America we were innocent until somebody proved us guilty but that doesn't happen that's not happening anymore in fact i told my wife today i said i really need to resign i really need to get up and resign because i'll tell you all right now i'll be honest with you i've done some things that nobody knows anything about and if you dug back bad enough you'd find somebody and and they'd say well Brother Charles don't have any business preaching. 45 years ago, he did this. Well, it doesn't repentance come in there somewhere? I mean, can't anybody repent? Doesn't, isn't that what Jesus said? Listen, he's more interested in your future than he is your past. And, and what Paul says is the requirement demands fairness here. A specific requirement. He said, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal. Now, there's three words there, give, just, and equal. Give means to get out of one's own resources or to give what is yours to give. And the word just is rendered right or deserved. 
And the word equal is more properly translated fair. So Paul's saying here, you masters, you need to give the, the servants and the slaves what is theirs. And it, that it might be right and fair for the work that's been done. Now, I want to tell you, everybody knows. I mean, everybody in America thinks that uh, slavery just came to America. We're all the bad guys. But, folks, slavery has been going on since the time of the, of the uh, biblical Old Testament. And uh, let me tell you, a slave in this biblical text day here when Colossians was written was nothing more than a, 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 a piece of property. That's all it was. And I'll tell you, to be honest with you, a woman wasn't much more than that either. In fact, it was in the 1900s before a woman even got the right to vote in America. I think I'm right about that. 19, anyhow, somewhere, it ain't been a long, long time, you know. So Paul is saying here, it, w it was a common thing for slaves to be mistreated and for subject to be horrible working conditions. I was laughing at my brothers because uh, my aunt, uh, of course, you know, everything was just going to be smooth. Ain't asked me say, I got everything worked out. Don't worry about a thing. You, you're the uh, executor, but everything's worked out. You just take it to this lawyer. Everything's fine. Well, the lawyer died two years ago, so I can't take it to the lawyer. So I'm taking it to the bookkeeper up there, and uh, she says, well, now, uh, this is not part of the estate. I said, sure it is. This is her checking account. She said, no, she set this up where you have this. This is yours. I said, oh, no. So I called my older brother this real tight, and I said, it looks like uh, we're about 40000 short in that uh, estate. <laughs> he liked to flip out, I'll tell you right now. What he's saying here is, and you know what the bookkeeper told me? She said, this is yours if you want it, or you can do what's right. And I said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what we've all agreed to do. This money was hers. It's not mine. But I'm telling you, in the slavery day, what Paul is saying here is these masters were taking advantage of the slaves and the servants. And I want to tell you, we need to be careful that we don't take advantage of other people around us. Uh, and so he's saying everything ought to be done fair, equal, and, and then give from that uh, uh, slavery is a matter that's been abob abolished, but the principle is still the same. We ought to be fair with people. We ought to be fair with people. We ought to treat them right. And we ought to give that which they deserved and uh, that which is ours to give. We, we ought not to cheat anybody out of anything. I love my, there's nobody love my daddy more than me. But I want to tell you, my daddy, he had this idea that anything he had was worth a lot of money. But anything anybody else had, it was junk, or they wouldn't want to get rid of it. So you buy it cheap, and then, and then now that I've got it, it's worth a whole lot of money. Now, that's a, I, I've got a feeling there's a lot of older guys like that, too, and younger guys, too. He said, just be fair. That's what he's saying. And then he says, it demonstrates fairness. Those in the position to treat somebody fairly ought to do so. You know why you ought to do so? You say, well, yeah, because it's right. No, 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 no. You know what Paul, you know why Paul said you better treat people right? He said, because you got a master in heaven. One day you're going to be treated with the same uh, uh, grace and the same judgment that you treated others with. He said, so you need to demonstrate that. 
this accountability is a grave matter here. And uh, the treatment of others and those in positions of authority is governed by the realization that we've got a master in heaven and we're going to have to all answer for it. So this translated, uh, this word translated master, normally uh, translated Lord. Uh, so Paul's command is startling here because he is confronting those in a position of authority with the fact that they're not the ultimate Lord. See, there are a lot of folk think they're the ultimate Lord. But I'm telling you, God's going to have a final say in all this. There's going to come a day when things may not have been right all your life, but I'll tell you there's going to come a day when he's going to judge things justly and, and right according to what is just and equal and right. The second truth, though, not only is there a practical message, but here in this four verses here, there's a, a personal model for somebody's prayer life. Uh, I, I, I love uh, studying about revivals, and, and uh, I'll be honest with you. Uh, we're, we're not getting the job done. We're not getting the job done. I told some preachers today, about 20 of them, and I said, guys, let me tell you what let's do, because this will blow your brains out. You take what your church gave last year, and you divide that by how many people you saw baptized. There's some of our churches that takes two or $300,000 just to win one person to the Lord. And the reason that is is because we've forgotten what the main purpose of the church is. Do, do you, will you agree with me today that there's only two kinds of people in this world, those who have Christ and those who don't? That's it. I mean, there's no medium road in there. When you die, you're either going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. It's just that simple. And we spend all of our time doing things, and I'm not knocking any of those things. We ought to be doing all those things. But I'm just telling you guys, we're either going to start winning people in 2018 or, or I'm just praying God just break our hearts because there are souls that need to come to Jesus. I, I thank God for the work in Dominican Republic and Haiti and, 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 and Slovakia and, and different places. But we're talking about right here in home. There's people you can throw a rock at and they're lost without Christ. And we, we're not concerned about them. We're not concerned about it. So he gives a model for a prayer. Uh, and the revival movement I was thinking about was in the Welsh revival, Evan Roberts. If you ever get a chance to read about the great Welsh revival with Evan Roberts, you ought to do that. It's tremendous. But in the middle of, they were in a cottage prayer meeting, and in the middle of one of the man's prayers, Evan Roberts went over to him, put his hand over the mouth of his brother, and he said this, Brother, you don't need to pray on, for you're not praying at all. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, if that were to happen, you don't need to pray on because you're not praying at all. If that were to happen right here, most of us in this room would say, Who does Evan Roberts think he is? Well, I'll tell you who he is. He's probably one of the closest men to God there was in that generation. See, we, how many times are we praying? We're just mouthing air. I love it when folks are praying, they're telling God what they did today. God knows what you did today. 
Man, prayer ought to be for repentance and intercession for other people. So he outlines this for us. We're to pray, first of all, faithfully. He said, continue in prayer. Verse 2, that word continue is not a command, but it's a very strong, suggestive word. Literally means to hold fast and not let go. Hold fast. The idea of being courageously persistent. Uh, it's usually used in a military sense, uh, in an army's persistence and continued attack upon a city. Uh, the word used to describe the desired prayer life of the believer, we're to pray relentlessly, aggressively, persistently. We're to hold fast and not let go. We need to be honest in here tonight. Some of us got lost relatives, and there was a time we prayed for them. But we ain't held fast. We're not praying for them. We said, well, I've already prayed for them. You know, there's not much else I can do. No, you can keep praying for them consistently, persistently, over and over and over again until God gives that answer. Prayer is not a religious interlude. It's not a spiritual luxury. I want to tell you something. It's a, if you were down at the men's uh, man church Monday night, oh, Dr. Fred Luter put it on the top shelf about us being in a spiritual warfare. Prayer is not a luxury. Uh, a prayer is an emergency measure. I mean, it's, it's a matter that you literally need to storm the gates of heaven and shake the gates of hell. Uh, mm. I think of the story R.L. Stevenson told, one of my favorite songs. We don't sing it much because it's hard to sing, but I love it. Uh, Throw out the lifeline. Uh, it's in our hymnal, too. I, I just love that old song. R.L. Stevenson was talking about a boat in a terrible storm. All the passengers went below. The tempest was raging so fiercely. Even the captain had to be tied to the bridge there. At last, one of the the passengers was just, he couldn't stand it anymore. He crawled up on the deck. And then when he saw the sight, it calmed his fears. And it steadied his nerves. He went back down to his companions and he said this, boys, it's all right. I've seen the skipper's face. It's all right. I've seen the skipper's face. Now, let me tell you, if you're watching the captain and he's calm, you, you're all right. Could I tell you, if you see the face of Jesus, you're going to be all right. You're going to be all right. He's going to see you through. Praise God for that. I mean, that, that's a blessing we ought to be shouting about. Amid all the storms and the struggles and the pressures, we, we, we need to pray until we see his face because he's not hiding from us. And then we not only need to pray uh, faithfully, we need to pray carefully. Uh, that word watch in verse 2 outlines a second aspect. He said watch, keep awake, means spiritually alert, uh, cognizant, uh, the uh, Williams translation, I like this, said, be persistent in prayer and give your whole mind to it. Give your whole mind to it. We're, we're living in a generation today, uh, and I'm not knocking our younger people, but uh, let me tell you, my age, we don't know what it's like to work in a war factory. We don't know what it's like to have to ration sugar and my soul if you had to ration gasoline today 
Why, we couldn't go to the mall. We couldn't go, I mean, you know, good grief. But many of you have gone through those things. I'm telling you, as a, as a, as a child of God, we need to be very careful to teach our younger people that the, the devil is not going to just waltz into your home and take over. You, you older people remember when Khrushchev said back in the 60s, we'll take America without firing a shot? And, and they've done a pretty good job. We thought the Cold War was over. But I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm not a great politician or anything, but I've just got a little bit of common sense. And I can see in our country where we've got people in top positions that have no business being in top positions. I mean, they don't even have any business being in America. We need to ship them plumb off out of the country. If the devil came in to take over your family, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. He would not come in. If he came into your home tonight and he said, I'm going to take your two children and I'm going to take them to hell, what, what, what would you do? You say, no, you ain't. Mm-mm. I'll fight you, devil. I'll chew on you. And when you knock my teeth out, I'll gum you to death. But you ain't taking my two girls to heaven, to hell. You ain't going to do it. Now, he knows that. He's not an idiot. So you know what he does? He comes in little by little by little. And they begin to watch things on television that's full of violence, even as a two- and three-year-old. I mean, even on these, what do you call them, peace something other stations, NPS, PBS, PBS, that's what it is. Even on those stations, you begin to slip little by little by little. I, I told uh, 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 Jason and Ashley, I said, you need to let, quit, quit letting Charlie watch this curious George. I think he's all right, but he's beginning to talk like him. I mean, I think when I hear him talk, I think of Curious George. Uh, let me tell you about one miracle I had yesterday. I mean, I, it's away from the scripture, but, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, you know, they sat down with us and said, look, the bottom line is this brain bleed is a lot worse than what anybody thought. And he'll, he's probably not going to talk. He's probably not going to talk. We spent two years praying he'd talk. Yesterday morning, I walked into the kitchen there in the little dining area. He was sitting there eating some bacon and eggs, and he said, Hi, Papa, just clear as a pen. I want to tell you, God can still do whatever he wants to do. You have all the MRIs you want to have, and you have all the stuff you want to have. I'm just telling you, God can still do whatever he wants to do. Jesus spoke the same matter. Uh you remember that little prayer? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul would take. Remember that? Do you know, you say, well, preacher, that's just a little old simple prayer. That's as far as a lot of people ever get in their spiritual life right there. That's as far as they get. I'm telling you, we, we, we need to grow beyond this. Uh, I love to hear these children pray. Boy, we've got some praying kids in this church. 
I'm talking about that can bring down heaven. They can, they're not prompted to do it. They don't hear the words ahead of time. Even little Charlie, we were sitting down yesterday to eat at Cheddar's at dinner, uh, and uh, immediately he puts out both hands to join, two years old, to join hands so we can pray for the meal. Becky said, well, babe, the meal hadn't even got here yet. He prayed. He's ready. We've got some kids here that I'm telling you will shake heaven with their prayers. Jesus spoke of that same matter. He said, watch and pray, Matthew 26, 41, that you enter not into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. <laughs> Listen to what J. Hudson Taylor, great missionary, said. He said, Satan will always find you something to do when you ought to be occupied about prayer if it's only arranging a window blind. I'm telling you the hardest thing you'll do. And I'll tell you the only thing, only way I can do it, I'm just going to be honest with you. The only way I can do it is I set a time for the Lord every day, and when my alarm goes off, I stop what I'm doing, and I do that right then. It don't make any Because I'm telling you, there's always stuff to do. I walked out of the office today with still enough stuff to do for two more days. But it's going to be there tomorrow, too. Mm. Well, then we're to pray, he said, thankfully. Notice again verse 2. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Uh, boy, we ought to be the most thankful people on the face of the earth. Uh, we, we ought not to find it hard during our times of prayer to offer gratitude and appreciation. Someone has said if we were more thankful we would be more thankful. Sometimes we just act like we're brain dead. We just need to think about what we got. I had a guy to tell me today, he said, you don't think God's judging America? I said, I don't think God needs to judge America. I said, go read the book of Isaiah. When they said they were going to build their vineyards bigger and all that, and, and, and God said, you build whatever you want to. I'm not going to give you the increase. And you remember what God did? God took his hand of protection off of them, and the enemy walked right on in and took over. God don't have to judge America. All God's got to do is take his hand of protection. And I believe the only reason he's got his hand of protection on us now is because of people like you and churches like this who are standing on the word of God. I believe that. But if, when he pulls a hand of protection off of us, we're on our own. We're on our own. We ought to be the most thankful people uh, in, in, uh, uh, in this entire world. I remember the story. I've not gone to see it yet, but I, I love to go to war movies. Becky won't go to them, so I have to find a time when she's shopping somewhere and I slip off and go. But I wanted so bad to go see Dunkirk uh, because I, I just love those war movies. I, I, you send me the email and tell me it's no good, it's terrible. Ought to be not doing it, but anyway. <clears throat> we, we a lot of times, uh, th I read this story there dealing with Dunkirk. It was a summer evening in England. Things were dark. The days of World War II, you know, we think we had it hard in America. When you see what, what England went through and all of the bombing and the many people who were killed there. And he said a pastor walked into his church and there was a little boy kneeling at the altar. And uh, he questioned him a little bit, and, and 
And the little boy said, well, you see, I was afraid that my daddy would be left on the beach at Dunkirk. So I prayed every day that God would protect him. Now he's home safe, and I've come to tell God, thank you. Well, sometimes if we're not careful, we do all this praying, and God answers, and then we never even stop to say, Lord, thank you for doing what, what we ask you to do. Thank you for your goodness. And then we're to pray mindfully, verse 3 and 4. We've got to get out of here. Uh, with a praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance. He's saying here that our personal prayer life moves to its highest form when we're praying for others. When we're praying for others. That's when our personal prayer life moves to its highest form. Um, a lot of people think Paul was uh, requesting prayer for release from prison. I don't really think he was. But if he was, I can guarantee you he was requesting prayer that he could be released so that he could go out and witness to those who were lost. He wasn't requesting to be released from prison so that he could go home and watch Saturday night at the movies or something. He was ready to go see the lost. Uh, in his book, uh, uh, Wesley Duell wrote a book called Touch, Touch the World Through Prayer. He said, every Christian ministry needs a burden-bearing team of prayer warriors. Alan can tell you about that. I mean, a team of prayer warriors that are lifting you up. And I know there's some of you here. That's why God's been able to do what he's been able to do here. People get different credit for it. But I want to tell you, every nursing home I go into, they say, thank you so much for coming. And I said, look, I've only got one request, and that is you pray for me in this church. That's it. That's all you got. And I'm telling you, they're praying all over. They're praying all over. I believe that's where the power comes from and the strength comes from. Uh, uh, Ron Dunn, great evangelist, said this. He said, intercessory prayer is not preparation for work, and it's not the substitution for work. It is work. When you sit down and you begin to pray, that's work. It's hard work. Because first of all, your mind's going to go into a dozen different things that you need to be doing. The devil will tell you, the phone will ring. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, I, I was I was in praying in my office here a little early, and the phone just rang and rang and rang. And I finally just hit this button, and I said, is anybody working here that's going to answer the phone? And they said, well, we don't usually answer it after 5 o'clock. I thought, oh, who gave that order, you know? Uh, when the phone rings, you're supposed to answer it. Uh, well, they say our bus kids are anxious and they're always calling. I said, then you be nice to the bus kids and tell them the bus is on its way. Well, what if it's not on its way? They'll find that out in just a little while. They may have already missed the bus, but you don't not answer the phone. <laughs> but I'm telling you, whenever you sit down to get honest about praying, you're going to find that anything in the world is going to come up, try to get you up out of where you're going to get back and get your mind off of that because the devil knows where, uh, uh, where the prayer comes from. One of the greatest illustrations I'm through about prayer uh, come from uh, West Virginia, uh, up in the mountains of West Virginia. Lived up there an old blacksmith. He was an ungodly man, infidel. He just hated Boy, he loved to just embarrass preachers. He just took them to town. And uh, 
His wife was saved, but he would debate and argue and challenge every one of them. One morning in his shop, an old gray-haired deacon from the Baptist church came in there, and the blacksmith thought the guy had come in to debate him, and he was gunged up and ready to go. But the old deacon just stood there with tears running down his beard cheeks, and he said, I just came to tell you that my wife and I have been up all night praying for God to save you. And he just turned around and walked out. Man, that old blacksmith said he could not do anything. He finally just shut down the shop and went home. And as he walked through the door, his wife, she was convinced by the look on his face that finally some preacher had outdone him. And she thought he had finally met his match. The blacksmith looked at his wife with tears and he said, Woman, the old deacon said that he and his wife had been up all night praying for me to be saved. And in all these years, that's one argument for which I don't have an answer. Mm, my soul. <laughs> I mean, you try to hit them with the commandments, they'll have an answer for you. They'll have an argument. But I tell you, when you're up praying for them, for God to save them, there's no argument to that. I, I know uh, uh, many of y'all know Jim and Kelly Walsh. Jim's always been, I mean, he's been a hot-fired potato all his life. I've known him 40 years and preached like a buzzsaw. And I was hearing him preach. Uh, I, I remember the first time I saw him cry at his son's wedding. And, uh, and he also had a tux on with a tie. Uh, that's how big a day that was. But anyway, old Jim was preaching in this revival. And he said, uh, people tell me, well, your kids are serving the Lord. What, what do we do if our kids don't serve the Lord? And he said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do if my kids decide they're not going to serve the Lord. And I, I poked Becky and I said, here it comes. He feeding a peel or hide. And he said, uh, they'd look out every Sunday morning and they'd see their papa walking up and down the street in front of their house praying for them. So they may get in the car and they may go to the lake, but they're going to have to see their papa walking up and down the street praying for them. I thought, boy, that's a, that's a good answer. Instead of arguing with a lot of people about what you ought to be doing for God, what, what, what would happen if we prayed for them 10 or 12 hours? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, if we believe God can do anything, looks to me like we ought to draw on that because I'm going to tell you, we're not getting it done any other way. Father, I thank you tonight for your love. Thank you for the opportunity you give us to pray. Thank you, Father, for saving us. Lord, I thank you even in, in as we winding up Colossians here that, <clears throat> God, there are principles in this word that we, we need to abide by, we need to live by. And so, God, I pray for everyone in this place tonight. If there's somebody here that doesn't know you and, and they don't have a relationship with you, Lord, don't let them leave this place. Let them find someone here, myself or Brother Allen, somebody else here, some Sunday school teacher, somebody, and just be honest and say, look, I, I, I'm not right with God. I need help. And let us sit down and go through the Word of God and pray and encourage and be a blessing. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for every good and perfect gift that comes from above. We're excited about this Lord's Day. Bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> Don't forget Sunday morning. Uh, the children's choir from Uganda. What they do in Uganda is they...
pick out kids who are in school and they uh, have uh, uh, scholarships to bring them to America, to tour America, but they still go to school while they're here. And so if we still have another need for another house or two if somebody's interested in that for Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday night. But then they're going to be singing Sunday morning. Then Brother Herman's going to be uh, preaching Sunday morning. And then Sunday night, our children and preschool and daycare are presenting the Christmas star. So it's going to be a great weekend. Do not miss it. All right? Thank you. Well, game night is Friday night. This Friday night. Yes, sir. All right? Bring, a, bring something and come fellowship. God bless.